So Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So we are going through Al-Fatiha. Hopefully you've all heard of it, seen it on TV at some point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uncle's jokes. Okay. So to, to recap some of what we did uh, in the last few sessions, uh, one key point to think about is, we'll relate to a little bit of what I talked about in the khutbah, that... Um, what you think of Allah in your heart will inform how you interpret what happens in your life, right? So if you think of Allah as punisher, as merciful, if you think of Allah as absent, that will inform how you interpret what happens in your life, okay? And so from there, going through Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim the whole of the Qur'an, you will find its essence is in, is in Al-Fatiha. So if you understand Al-Fatiha, you understand the essence of the Quran. Okay. If you uh, if you want to capture the essence of Al Fatiha, then understand Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So if you understand Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, you understand the essence of Al Fatiha. Okay. And the essence of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim you find in the B at the beginning. And what is the simple point there? B translates as with or in, and it's speaking of connection. Good. And so we're saying one of the hearts of Islam, which is actually what I mentioned just a few minutes ago in the khutbah, um, is connection. Primarily with Allah Ta'ala, with the Prophet, peace be upon him, with yourself, with the people around you, with nature. Good. All of these things are part of connection. And to really frame it, um, if, you think of, uh, if you think of any sin, imagine any sin, not the process of doing it, but the actual sin, uh, the name or the, the whatever it is, you'll see it's breaking a connection. If I skip prayers, I'm weakening or I'm breaking my connection to Allah. If I tell you a lie, a'udhu billah, then I'm straining or I'm breaking my relationship with you, especially if you find out that I lie, right? Or you entrust me with something, something something very, very precious, and I go tell everyone else, then that's naturally going to strain or break our relationship. And so the heart... A heart of our tradition is connection, and then going from, from B to Bismillah, the first connection, of course, is with Allah. Okay. And, and so we spoke briefly about the name Allah itself. Uh, it's considered to be the most majestic utterance, laf jalala, meaning the most majestic thing, the most sacred thing you can possibly say. And we're encouraged to say it as much as you can, as frequently as you can. You know, Ya Allah, or one of the names of Allah. And then from there, Assalamu alaikum. From there, the next attributes, or then how else do we connect to Allah? We get to know him by way of his names. I mean, how else are you going to know Allah except to know who he is? And that is by way of his attributes. So his names, his attributes, same word. And so the first two attributes then after Allah are the attributes of Rahma, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And Rahma here uh, has two parts. One is mercy and the other one is intimacy. So the idea of mercy is, I'm giving you ease, even though I don't have to, right? I'm giving you ease, even though I might be justified in causing you difficulty. That's half of Rahmah, that we always translate as mercy, that's only half of it. The other half is, I'm giving you ease to bring you closer to me. So Allah is giving us Rahmah to bring us closer to him. And seriously, think about that. Uh, you, know, you know the whole drill that you can't really count all the blessings you've received from Allah, right? Even all the blessings you received from him today. But you do need to go through a process of reflecting on them because it becomes so easy to take them for granted, right? It becomes easy to take the sun for granted, right? Uh, 
And then you, you might start missing the sun without realizing it, you know, during these types of winters when it's all cloudy and such. But if you don't do this already, I would encourage as an assignment, I probably gave this assignment to your, your family's class like 300 times. I don't know if people do it, but um, as an assignment, uh, spend about a minute each day either with a document on your phone or on your computer or a notebook and write down three blessings Allah has put in your life. Okay. Sound familiar? I think they did it for a while. Yeah, for a while. Yeah. They're all happy for a while and then it went away. <laughs> anyway. so, so the point being that uh, take a moment and even right now, you don't have to share with us, but even take a moment right now and think of three blessings in your life. Okay. Whatever they are. Sunlight, you have eyes, you're at Northwestern, whatever it is. And then looking at your list, this is why I'm saying you got to put in a document or a notebook, um, for each one from the depths of yourself, try to say Alhamdulillah. Okay. You know, like to thank Allah. Okay. And then I'd also suggest making this dua, which is in Surah 46, Surah Al-Ahqaf, Ayah 15, and briefly, meaning, my Lord, guide me to be grateful for what you have bestowed upon me and upon my parents, and then it goes further after that. And I'm, saying to, I'm suggesting to do this as an exercise on a daily basis. If you can sustain this on a daily basis, you will definitely see your outlook changing, but it'll probably take about three, four, six months for it to really, uh, to really kick in. You know, like when you're taking, like, mental health medications, antidepressants, it'll say, like, it takes a month to kick in. This will take longer, okay? But it'll go to such an extent that colors will even start seeing more vibrant. Not kidding. Okay? But you actually have to go through the process. You are rewiring your brain. Okay? That's also part of what dhikr is. You know, we often uh, speak about, you know, say the names of Allah X number of times or send blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him, X number of times. And at one level, you're getting blessings for doing it, and you'll see the blessings on the other side, inshallah. But what else is taking place? You're programming yourself by repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. That's literally what you're doing. So when you are speaking of Allah as most merciful, it's one thing if you say, Ya Rahman, okay? Uh, it might be a different effect if you are actually consciously thinking of Allah as Rahman, even in your own language, and you do that on a regular basis, then again, you are rewiring your circuitry. These are field-tested uh, uh, assignments, so I'd really, really suggest them. But the point here is that this is at the heart of connection, that we are connecting to Allah, uh, especially by way of his Rahmah, but how does that play out? I have to be able to see his Rahmah. I have to be able to appreciate the rahmah that he is putting upon me. To, so I can reach the point where I actually really see it as a waterfall of rahmah upon me. Especially when things are difficult. right? Then, uh, then it might be harder to appreciate the rahmah because this one really bad thing has happened in my life. So it's hard for me to see the other 50 million good things. Right? We all go through that. You're going to go through that over the course of your life. These are exercises um, to really, really give you strength of heart by way of gratitude. So having said that, and feel free to interrupt at any time. These first, you look like you have a question. Are you processing? Okay. So, so having said that, we're getting to the rest of Al-Fatiha. A small, small technical point. 
There is difference of opinion whether or not Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is actually part of the surah, and it's almost like a 50-50 opinion. About half of the people who've explored this argue that it is part of the surah. The other half say, no, it's not. Everybody agrees that you have to recite it, right? Uh, and then, as you probably know, uh, one surah, Surah At-Tawbah, um, doesn't begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And there's theories behind it. Some say because that surah is so tough that it doesn't follow, it's, it would not be consistent for it to begin with the Rahmah of, of, of Allah, right? Um, but, yes, sir? Uh, open it up. Let's go to Surah 9. Oh. And by the way, um, if you're on your phone, you don't really need to have wudu and such. You mean talk by, uh, like it relates to Allah's wrath and stuff like that? Let's take a look. You know what I notice as I'm getting older? I'm doing like the bobblehead much more. It's like, troubles me. Yeah, I probably did. Yeah, it's probably your question too. Yeah. Okay. So, and we'll look at it briefly, just simply in translation. Surah Tatawbah, Surah 9, also known as Surah Al-Bara, meaning like, um, how do you translate Bara? Immunity. So, this translation says, this is a declaration of disassociation from Allah and his messenger to those with whom you had made a treaty with the polytheists. So, travel freely, this is speaking to those who do not accept the Prophet, peace be upon him, throughout the land for four months, but know that you cannot cause failure to Allah, and Allah will disgrace the disbelievers. And it is an announcement from Allah and his messengers to the people on the day of the greater pilgrimage that Allah is disassociated from the rejectors, and his, so is his messenger. So, if you repent, that's best for you. If you turn away, then know you cannot cause failure to Allah. Give glad tidings to those who disbelieve of painful punishment. This is taunting language. Give them the good news that they're doomed. Right? And then ayah 4. Accept those with whom you made a treaty among the polytheists, and they have not been deficient toward you in anything and have not supported anyone against you, so complete the treaty with them until the term uh, ends. Indeed, Allah loves those who are righteous. When the sacred months have passed, kill the polytheists wherever you find them, capture them, besiege them, and sit and wait for them at every place of ambush. Pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the Islamophobe line that's like their favorite ayah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it kind of follows in why well, I would not begin with the Rahmah uh, of Allah. But that's a theory. That's a theory for why it doesn't begin with the Rahmah. Ultimately, uh, why doesn't it begin with Bismillah? Because as far as we know, the Prophet, peace be upon him, did not begin with Bismillah. So think about it even from the perspective of Al-Fatiha. Every time the Prophet, peace be upon him, recited Al-Fatiha, he'd recite Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We just don't know if he was always saying it out loud, but we always knew he was saying it. Thus, we don't know if it's an ayah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, what's the big deal? Just, I mean, you should do it right after the class ends. Um, let's come. Let's come back to it, inshallah. Yeah. Um, so, so the point here, going back to Surah Al-Fatiha, is the core is connection, and then building on the core connections to Allah. And building on that core even more, it's connection to Allah by way of his Rahmah. Okay? Um, but in fact, even connecting to Allah by the way of his majesty, just the name Allah itself. And then from there, his majesty is one of Rahmah. Okay? Then bringing us to the rest of Al-Fatiha. So the next ayah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Common translations is praise be to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. Right? That's how we usually translate it. Hamd is praise and gratitude. It's not just praise. 
But answer this question. Why would you praise... Okay, so put Allah aside in whatever way you can, but uh, why would you praise someone? What would be a reason? You know, let's say we want to praise Yusuf for something. Why would you praise him? Okay, all right. He's worthy of being praised. Okay. You look up to Yusuf. Mashallah. Notice he's not even moving. He's like, yeah, this is, this is, this is a given. Okay, so... Um, and again, these are simple questions. Why would you express gratitude to someone? Simple question. Nothing Northwesternish. Yeah, so they did something for you, right? So praise is maybe they did something wonderful or something just about them is praiseworthy. Gratitude is they did something for you. Hamd is both of those. So why do we praise Allah? And these are not profound questions, so, but they might be. Why do we praise Allah? You can harken back to Sunday school if you want. You know. He gave us everything we have. So, so one reason, obviously, is that he gave me everything I got, right? What else? Uh, why else do we praise Allah? Or why else do we do hamd of Allah? I'm sorry? Oh, okay, I tell you, man, like, while you're here in class. Okay, I'm, like, to tell us. Okay, so, yeah, so, so, mashallah. So, so he's, uh, he's given us, uh, you know, not only everything, but just even the existence that we have is for the purpose of giving him, giving him hamd. Uh, what if there, he never made any creation? Would Allah still be praiseworthy? Yes. Yeah. That's the point that I'm getting us to, right? Sorry? So by virtue of the fact that Allah is Allah, hamd is due to him. Even if there's possible to express things in time before him doing anything. So, so he's the creator. Uh, so he's khaliq, creator. Even if he hasn't created anything, he's still khaliq. Okay? He's still creator. And likewise, even if he had not created anything, he is, by virtue of the fact that he's Allah, worthy of hamd. Okay? So it's kind of like a theological, philosophical point. So before him even doing anything for me, um, the sentiment I want to get is that, okay, he's majestic, he's a source of mercy, and he's the one to whom I respond to with praise and gratitude. So this is one of the cores now getting into my relationship with him. How do I articulate my connection with him? One of the most core ways then, as I try to get to know him, is by expressing gratitude to him. Okay. And that is one of the essences, another one of the essences of all of Islam. You'll see over and over again. Let's go really briefly, go to Surah 31. We might have looked at this last time. Surah 31, which is called Luqman. Luqman is an interesting, yeah, Luqman, that name just keeps coming up today. Well, mashallah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, go to I-12. And so, this section, we're not going to go through the whole thing, we're just, I just want you to see the, the first ayah. Here, it's a narrative of Luqman this figure from history on his deathbed speaking to his son, giving him advice 
And if you want to see a sum of all of Islam from a different perspective, uh, 12 to 19 sums up all of Islam for you. But what does it say at the beginning? We gave Luqman wisdom that, or the wisdom, was essentially leading him or guiding him towards gratitude to Allah. Whoever is grateful to Allah is grateful for the benefit of himself. Whoever denies, Allah doesn't need it. Allah is free of need of that person. So I'm not doing Allah a favor by being grateful to him. I'm not hurting him by being ungrateful to him. But I am doing a favor to myself by being grateful to him. How would that be a favor to myself? What would be different ways of me being grateful to Allah, what would be ways for that to be a favor to myself? What do you think? Brain usage. Uh Yeah, so uh, when you're grateful, it does affect your personality. Right? Uh, so even, again, you know, theoretically put Allah to, to the side, if you're a grateful person for the things people do for you or whatever, um, it will affect your personality. It will make you humble, not in an unhealthy way, in a healthy way. What else will it do for you? Just try to imagine, if you don't have the sentiment of gratitude in your heart right now, just try to imagine what it feels like to be grateful. What does it feel like when you are grateful? Okay, yeah, that uh, when you're grateful, you feel like you actually have more than you have. When you're ungrateful, you feel like you have less than you have. So let's say <coughs> I give you 100 bucks. Okay. If you're grateful, you'll feel as though I gave you like $1,000. Okay. If you're ungrateful, you'll feel as though I gave you like $10. Right? Or why didn't you give me more? I, what am I going to do? It's just 100 bucks, right? And so, again, it does affect your psychology. So we have a teaching that appears a couple times in the Quran where Allah Ta'ala says, if you're grateful, he will give you more. And one way you will have more is that you're going to recognize how much more you actually have than what you perceived. So your objective wealth may not change with you being grateful, yet your sense of how much wealth you have has increased. But people also commonly understand this to mean that, that he will also actually objectively increase your wealth too. Right? But what are we saying? The more gratitude you can develop, the happier person you're going to be. The less gratitude you have, the less likely you will be a happier person. Okay? And so this goes back to that exercise. You will see things change. So alhamdulillah, praise and gratitude are due to him. Rabbil alameen. So, Rob, I'm going to give you the same offer that I give to everybody else. I'm going to give you a very precise definition of the word Rub, which is usually translated as Lord. Okay? I'm going to give you a very precise definition. If you can sum it up for me, it doesn't have to be today, in one word, I'll give you $10. Okay? If you're grateful, if you like 100 bucks. No, I'll give you $10 okay? if you can sum this up in one word. You're like, you're like just getting ready. I'm sorry? No, 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 no. I'm going to give you the actual definition. Yeah, you're like, you already got your Lakers jersey on and everything. You're like, yeah, Kobe. Okay, so anyway, so do you like, do you like LeBron? No, no, Kobe. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, yeah. It was, it was a trick question. 
what were you sad when he retired? Yeah. Really? <laughs> did, did it hurt your heart? Even though, like, in his last year, he just, you know. Oh. <laughs> it was that last game, though. That last game. game was pretty neat, yeah. 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 Could have scored a 1,000 points that game, yeah. True, true. Sorry? Yeah. MashaAllah, applying it immediately. Okay, so here is uh, a very precise definition of Rabb. Get ready. The Rabb of something is the one who takes something from immaturity to maturity according to its unique design. So we can say Allah is the Rabb of all the worlds. We're saying He takes everything in all the worlds from immaturity to maturity according to each thing's unique design. Anissa's like, I got a word for this. I got I to gotta get a word. I got something. I got something. Yeah. Um, you can try. Anybody want to try now? It, the offer is like open, unlimited. You know. Is this like a question that's been, like, you know the answer to? Or no, 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 no. Like no, one's, like no, one's, like, no one's, I'm no waiting for someone to actually oh. give me an answer. I used to even say, give it to me in three words. Um, you can try, but the $10 offer doesn't apply there. But I'll even take it and give you two words, if you can give it to me in two words. But it has to be precise. You can't just be like, Farmer, like you can't do that, right? You know. Okay, okay. <coughs> Are you gonna like like invoke Kobe and you know? No, no, I was just wondering. Dear if Black Mamba, what? No, I'm sorry. No, I was just wondering if it was like an answer. You no, 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 no. Or, like, no, I got no answer. Yeah, yeah. Nice. The word I usually use is nourisher. Yeah. Um, what does your translation say? Just, I'm sorry. Really? Yeah. Just like Kobe, you missed. Anyway, so like the point being, Rabb, uh, we're saying at the galactic level. If we're speaking about all the worlds, he takes every galaxy from immaturity to maturity according to the design of each galaxy. If we're speaking at the subatomic level, he's taking each quark or whatever. What, what's like the smallest thing now? Did you guys oh, see it recently? Okay, so 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 God particle, right? So you're saying so we're saying God takes the God particle, right? From you prefer to call it Higgs, okay? First name basis. Okay, so. <laughs> So, so Allah takes the Higgs boson particle, particle from immaturity to maturity, each one according to each one's unique design. So what are we saying? We're saying that Allah is intimately involved in the control and guidance of everything. Okay? Which for you and I in Islam is probably not very much of a big deal to say. For a lot of people, it's a tough concept to really appreciate that Allah is literally controlling everything at every moment. And that will raise the question of free will predestination, which is, I'm sure, where your mind would eventually go, inshallah. But uh, the point being that Allah controls... So Allah is the one who is in complete control of everything down to the most minute level or the most macro level. Okay. Um, Rabb is also akin to Rahmah. So even then, he's guiding everything through its life path in a nourishing way. Okay. So notice this is the theme that keeps getting repeated at the beginning of the surah. Then the next ayah, we have ar-Rahman ar-Rahim again. What's the effect of the repetition? It begins, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and then again, you know, two ayahs later, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. What's the effect or point or what would we infer from the repetition? What do you all think? I've also, in addition to bobblehead, I've been developing this, this southern accent. I'm turning into like a Daisy uncle from the south. I don't know why. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So what do you think? 
what is the effect of the repetition? Emphasis? Yeah, one would be emphasis. That would be the effect <coughs> it would have on us, right? Another possibility could just be related to the poetry or the rhythm of the surah. Or it could be both of those, right? Uh, emphasis. But now let's look at this. Actually, let's come back to this in a second. The next ayah is Maliki Yomuddin, or Maliki Yomuddin, both of them work, the king or the sovereign of the day of judgment. Uh, so we're saying he's master of the day of judgment. Now, let's do an exercise. So, especially if you are looking at the text in front of you, imagine you remove Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Okay? So you have Bismillah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Maliki Yomuddin. So in the name of Allah, Praise and gratitude are due to Allah, Lord of all the worlds, master of the day of judgment. How does it change if you remove Ar-Rahman Rahim? Sorry? Yeah, it becomes much more authoritative. Yeah. Let's take it even further. Instead of Ar-Rahman Rahim, let's do Al-Jabbar Al-Qahar. Anybody know what those mean? What do they mean? Um, that means like Jabbar. Like, he has, like, more strength than others. Al-Qahar means, like, he can vanquish, like... Yeah, that's a big word. So, yeah. So, Jabbar is the one whose will cannot be stopped, right? Qahar, yeah, is the one who, like, thoroughly subdues. And so, so let's change it to that. Bismillah, Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Al-Jabbar, Al-Qahar, Maliki Yomuddin. So, in the name of Allah... The, the, the one whose will cannot be stopped, the one who vanquishes. Praise and gratitude are due to, uh, to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. The one whose will cannot be stopped, um, the one who vanquishes, master of the day of judgment. How does that sound? Yeah, it's, it's, it's far, far more tough. Uh, but let's give it balance. Let's say... Uh, first, it's Ar-Rahman Rahim, and then the second time, it's Al-Jabbar Al-Qahar. So now we're going to have both positive and tough. So, in the name of Allah, most merciful, eternally merciful. All praise and gratitude are due to, to, due to Allah, Lord of all the worlds, the one whose will cannot be stopped, the one who vanquishes, master of the day of judgment. How does that sound? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, sure. So even, even if we were to theoretically make it balance between what we call the attributes of beauty and the attributes of majesty, um, that's not the route Allah Ta'ala took at the beginning of the surah. Um, he's doing rahma, 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 rahma. When he could have not even included rahma here, he could have um, had these very, very tough, tough attributes. Yeah. But it's Rahma, 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 Rahma. So this goes back to the point. What do I think of when I think of Allah? Not what do I tell people, but what do I truly think of Allah in my heart? Here, we're being guided to Rahma, 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 Rahma. And he minutely, intricately controls everything. So that would be by way of Rahma. And my goal is to be able to respond with gratitude. That's what we're trying to get to. And then he's master of the day of judgment. Well, uh, So if he's so merciful, simple question, 
if he is so merciful, then how do you explain suffering? So that's our standard Islamic answer for everything, right? It's a test. Yeah. Um, let's take it a step further. How do you explain the birth of a baby who is suffering? So the baby is feeling the pain, feeling the intense pain, but the baby doesn't have a cognition. That, you know, you can't say to the baby, "Oh, you're just going through a test. You know, deal with it." Right? Um, how do you explain that? If Allah is so merciful that His mercy is mentioned four times in four lines, what do you think? How do you? Are you about to say something? No. Uh, let's take it even a step further. That. Real-world situation. Uh, uh, this was like my friend's niece. Um, uh, uh, I forgot the name of the disease. It's like D-E-B-R-A stands for something, something like derma, something, something, something. Uh, this baby had this condition where her skin was so fragile that if you were to touch it, she would scab. She would start bleeding. Okay. From birth. Okay. And so literally, her care all day long was to very carefully put gauze on her. Okay. And pretty much by the time you were done, her gauze is covered in blood. So then you'd have to very carefully take it off. Okay. And then put on fresh gauze. Okay. And so, but this is also in her esophagus. So... Um, she could only consume liquids that were super, super soft. And almost 24-7, she'd be crying, screaming in pain. Every single day from the moment of birth. Okay? So the parents didn't do anything. They just had some genetic interaction that led to this. So how do we explain that? For the parents, we'd say, we could say it's a test. But how do we explain it about the child? Meaning, it is possible that this child has never experienced joy. Has never experienced relief. So how do you explain that? From the perspective of Allah's rahmah. It's reality, right? Okay, let's take it. Yes? Um, I was just going to say, maybe like, she goes through the suffering in the dunya, she'll get like jaza uh, for that for the akhirah. Mm-hmm. So like, Allah doesn't let anything like go by without um, like if you go through it, He's not gonna like like He's gonna give you ajr jaza or jaza So so ultimately, if you don't include the day of judgment in your outlook, then this world is not fair, right? If you don't include the day of judgment in your outlook. Then, when you have a case like the case of this child, then I don't know how you would not yourself lose your mind. Because right? that's one child, what to think of something like Syria or all the other things that happen in the world. Right? Um, and even take it a step further. Suppose you have a child that is born addicted to drugs. So here, the previous example, I'm speaking of a child, the parents didn't do anything wrong and the child is, is born suffering. This child, the specific one that I'm thinking of, uh, died when she was about eight years old. So on the one hand, it was eight years of nonstop suffering. I mean, I can't even conceive of that. 
uh, and then uh, and then literally she started going through the processes of death. Like death is a physiological process. She started going through all that, and then she passes away. And the strange thing for her parents is suddenly they had all this time. Like they just didn't even know what to do with themselves because they were so used to putting in so much attention for, for this child. Okay. But we would say, then where's the child? Now. In paradise, right? Um, but let's shift it now. Let's say the parents actually made choices like drugs, and now the baby's born addicted to drugs. Right? That's another common thing. So you have a, date, a, a baby who is addicted to whatever drugs from birth. Um, and then again, how does Allah's Rahmah play out here? It's the same thing. Okay. Meaning, the Rahmah will manifest to some degree in this world. It will manifest fully on the other side. Okay. But if you remove the Day of Judgment from your outlook, you will find yourself looking for ways to try to make sense of any of this. Okay. And another way to think about this uh, as far as we understand, will there be any children going to hell? No. How would you have a child going to hell? Because right. the child will not have, you know, will not is not even considered to be what we call balig, like uh, mature enough to be held to account. Right. So all these children would go straight to paradise. Yeah. But think about it, even from a secular perspective. Suppose, you know, suppose somebody just made this up. What does having a belief in the day of judgment give you? So we said gratitude, you know, will help me be happier, you know, will help give me tranquility. Ingratitude will uh, make it harder for me to be happier because I'm going to feel like I got nothing. What will a belief in a day of judgment like our belief give you? So you're believing that every single thing in all of history will get completely balanced out, okay? that all the good that you've done, you will get rewarded for. Okay. Allah will give you, at the very least, what you have earned, but he might even give you something better. He might give you out of his rahmah. He's not going to give you less than you've earned. Okay. So at the very least, in one way, you do have control of your destiny on the other side, based on what you've done here, but Allah might even give you better than that. So from that mindset, um, what does that give me? Just belief in this. What do you think? Patience. Sorry? Patience. So one is patience. That no matter what injustice is taking place, justice, injustice, uh, or the perpetrators of injustice cannot ultimately escape. Okay. What else? Everything counts, and we should strive to win the favor of Allah. Mm -hmm. So it also gives me more focus on the seriousness of my life. Right? that my life is not just mere play. There are, there are times to play and, you know, school and all those things. But uh, the point being that, yeah, everything I do, big or small, does matter. Uh, what else? You can give me, like, a sense of inner peace. Like, like, for example, you lose someone, like, you know, like, yeah, like, Allah has a plan for them. Mm -hmm. like, like, yeah. So, I mean, taking your point even a step further, that it will, that when I lose someone, uh, inshallah, I'll be reunited, right? Um, this is one of the challenges of atheism, 
you know, so we have all this neo-atheism going on. You find a, a most atheists don't actually take their atheism to its full conclusion. When you take atheism to its full conclusion, you're basically saying, you don't matter. Right? Like, who cares if you exist, if you don't exist? Because it doesn't matter. You're going to become fertilizer, you know, at some point. So it does not matter if, a'udhubillah, I committed genocide. I'm going to be fertilizer at some point. Just like the person next to me who may have cured 20 diseases or may have dedicated 80 years of life nonstop to philanthropy, the end result's going to be the same. So who cares, right? That all I am is nothing but a series of, of meaningless cause and effects. That's when you take atheism to its full conclusion, that's what we're saying. Unless you go and say, no, there's rebirth, reincarnation, so you'll find a lot of a lot of hardcore atheists who go science, 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 will still then start talking about things like multiverses or, um, you know, infinite regression. So you have the Big Bang, whole universe forms, and then it collapses, and then another universe forms. But there's no scientific, like, support for that. There's a bunch of theories. Like, I, I just went through this one book um, by Ali Rizvi. It's called The Atheist Muslim. Right? I mean, you've got to wonder how you can be an atheist Muslim. But anyway... And I always read these books with interest to see, are they going to say something new? But he does not say anything new. But, um, you know, he makes all these points about the absurdity, theoretically, of having belief. And, and from there, he, he uh, idealizes the Enlightenment, that what Islam needs is a reform and to become enlightened, like Europe. He doesn't talk about the slave trade. He doesn't talk about the genocide of the Native Americans. He doesn't talk about colonization and all those things that are also directly connected to the Enlightenment. But... Um, at the end of the book, he, uh, he talks about this conversation he has with this friend of his, and her father died. Okay. And then uh, she's coming to him for, to help console her. And she's saying, you know, like, how do I, what do I do? If he's being treated as atheism, he's, in a nice way, he can say, well, you know, he's gone, right? He's, we're going to be walking on him soon, right, as fertilizer. Uh, at best, fertilizer. Um, but what does he say? I'm sorry. What? Oh, nothing. I just don't like the fertilizer. But isn't that? Uh, let's take it a step further. Not just that. Like as you're decomposing, worms are going to go through you. Yeah, that's a yeah, but I'm saying that's the brutal reality to to <laughs> to, to embrace. When we have day of judgment, then we can say, you know, we're all going to be like, you know, floating around paradise and or something like that, or the other place. But um, but the point being that, so then he says to her, you know, your father is still alive through your memory of him. Okay, nice point, kind of poetic. And then he says, you know, your father is probably alive in a different universe. Okay. Sorry? What? Like a, like a yeah, an alternate universe. Those literally are his words. Same thing, who knows? I mean, if it's the same thing, then he's dead there too, right? Yeah. Um, but it could be an alternate universe where he is alive there. Okay. And this whole book, he's talking about having a rational approach to life. But his, like, climactic chapter, he's resorting to what he would have to accept as a fantasy belief, which is what he's been saying about Islam, Judaism, Christianity throughout the whole text. right? And the point being, very rarely will you find... Uh, atheists will truly take their atheism to its full conclusion. To be fair, I'm sorry? Because it's not like consistent with like humanity. Yeah. Yeah, it's not consistent with the human experience, like the human outlook. 
You can even say, to be fair, uh, very rarely will you find people of any belief truly take their beliefs to their, to their full conclusion anyway. Um, but at least as a method of coping, uh, people often turn to religion. Like in my anecdotal experience, uh, uh, <clears throat> the people who deal best, in my experience, which is mostly Chicagoland, the people who deal best with suffering, with tragedy, are Muslims and Christians. Right? And I'm saying even people who are not really all that religious. Uh, and the people at the bottom are atheists. Right? Especially if we're talking about a death. That's in my anecdotal experience. But that would make sense, right? That if you're Muslim Christian, especially, you're having a belief in this big, greater picture. Right? And so, so, yeah, I mean, it could be completely wrong compared to all the data, but uh, that's been my anecdotal experience. So the key point then to take is that there is a day of judgment where everything will be balanced out. And for some of us, that's when mercy will truly manifest or completely manifest, which is not negate the mercy that I'm receiving right now. Question or just processing? Okay. Okay. So that's the first half of the surah. The first half of the surah is about Allah. The second half will be about who we are to Allah. That we will cover next time, inshallah. Any questions, thoughts? Can we go back to Surah Tawbah? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Let's go to Surah Tawbah. So I'll give you part of the answer. So, yeah, this ayah is really, really tough. Surah Tawbah is revealed almost at the very end. And... The Prophet, peace be upon him, has had the conquest of Makkah. And he's announced a general amnesty. So almost everyone, even if they fought against Muslims, they're given amnesty. Meaning, in a normal situation, you know, these are people who fought you, you might like rape and pillage or something, right? Um, But the amnesty lasts for four months. So they've been told, unless we have a treaty with you, this amnesty is going to stay for four months, okay? But you're going to have to make a decision in those four months. That in those four months, uh, if you want to stay in Mecca, you have to become Muslim. Okay? Uh, if not, then you should leave. Right? And so this is, uh, this is uh, the ayahs that are giving that info. Right? So after this, no more treaties. Uh, whereas the Prophet, peace be kept trying to make treaties with them up to that point. The biggest one uh, was the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Right? Um, but now, all treaties are off. Right? So does this apply in a universal sense? The general sentiment is no. Okay. But why would it then be in the Quran? Because it is also giving us the whole full spectrum of the seerah. That at this point the Prophet, peace be upon him, has now established Islam in Makkah and it is no longer ever allowed to be a place for, for idol worship. Right? I don't know uh, what would be a scenario where you would apply this in any capacity in today's world. Okay. So yeah. What do you think? That's the short answer. Still kind of, still kind of tough. It's uh, it's a hundred percent coercive. Okay, so that's raising a, a different point about like the nature of religion and coercion, which we'll probably have to have a bigger discussion about that. Yeah, and it does raise the question of pluralism and such. But again, that would be if you apply this beyond that specific moment. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, there it is also essentially saying Mecca is different than all the different places of the world. Yeah. And like, how would it have been possible for the Prophet to even live with those people in Mecca? That would also be part of the conversation, right? Uh, the assumption of of uh, a declaration of war from there. Yeah. Sorry. So like, okay. Um, if we add to this, the Prophet, peace be upon him, he, uh, when he went to Medina in the, the migration, we always talk about, like, in Sunday school level, the first things he did, you know, he changed the name to Medina, he, he brought the Ansars and the Mahajars together, he built a masjid, he made treaties with, with the Jewish tribe and such. One point that we never share is that he also announced to the Quraysh that if any of their caravans come near him, he's going to seize those caravans. Okay. Now, what would be part of the logic? Part of the logic is that he is under threat of war from them. So why wouldn't he do something like that to keep the boundaries as wide as possible? And likewise, the point Hudayfa is making is essentially that here, um, uh, the default assumption should be that these people will be plotting war against him anyway. Right? So he's essentially saying, out. It's very tough. So this point is the time of the ayah. Yeah. Time of Medina, you had a whole bunch of different people there. And this is specific to Makkah. Uh, I don't remember this applying to the whole of the Arabian Peninsula, but just to Makkah. It also raises another question, you know, how come only Muslims are allowed into Makkah today? Right? The core answer is because that's what it says actually later on in this same surah, although it's supposed to be just for the haram, not necessarily for all of Makkah. And, and I even had a student who asked this semester, you know, you, know, you know, who's a religious guy, Christian, he's like, you know, well, I'd like to go and experience peace there and all that. And, yeah, I told him it's really easy to do. Just repeat after me. <laughs> Ashhadu. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but they're just saying, like, every single bit of work, right? It's not just... Idol worshippers. Like, like, so it would definitely apply to the tribe leaders. Even the amnesty didn't apply to them, Right. Uh, uh, but uh, the understanding is that it applies to everyone. Don, 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 don. Seems like we'll have to have a much more substantial discussion. Uh, maybe we'll even do it next week or something, inshallah. Okay. We're talking about uh, um, kill them wherever you find them. Oh, no. Yeah, kill them wherever you find them. Yeah, it's really double. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha ila anta nastaghfiruka na tubi ilayk Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha ila anta nastaghfiruka na tubi ilayk Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha ila anta nastaghfiruka na tubi ilayk